So right now I'm with a Dr. Dan Erickson, and he's actually working with COVID-19 patients. Is that right? That is right. Welcome to the Rage and Patriot podcast. I'm your host, Joey Saladino, and this is a very special episode where we're actually interviewing a COVID-19 doctor. So please spread the word about this episode so this way we can get the truth out there. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what you do in the background of, of what you work with? Well, we, uh, yeah, we, we've seen, uh, you know, thousands of patients and we've, I should say, tested thousands of patients over the last two months. And we've really just been collecting data. We have seven medical centers and we've been testing people with and without symptoms. Uh, initially, the CDC had recommend fever, cough, shortness of breath. We followed that protocol. And then as we, um, as we started to progress, a lot of employers said, hey, I need people tested without symptoms. So we kind of lifted it. And now we're really in the last several weeks, we're just testing anyone that wants and needs to be tested. I think it really helps us to de decide when herd immunity has happened. And really that's what we're all after is herd immunity. You're gonna hear me talk about herd immunity a lot today because it is the it is really the beginning and the end of the discussion when it comes to sheltering in place. Yeah, because that's been a lot of the discussion when it comes to lockdowns, whereas one of the arguments against lockdowns is how are we ever gonna get to herd immunity? Because right when lockdowns end and we go outside again, it, it, it's gonna it then we're just gonna all get hit with the virus. Now what do you think? Cause I know there's a lot of discussion on when the herd immunity happens. At what point percentage in the population need the antibodies for herd immunity to kick in or like a range? Let's start with China. China started getting cases in January, late January. China uh, didn't know what they were dealing with. They said, whoa, we got a virus here uh, moving quick. So if you look at the data um, and you go to Worldometer or CDC or whatever you like, there's graphs and they show that the peak on February 4th uh, showed the peak, I think it was 3,800 cases a day it peaked and then it started going down. It's usually a four to six week cycle of their herd immunity. Well, China, they were at an advantage and the advantage was they didn't know what they were dealing with. So they didn't, they didn't shelter in place. The shelter in place order, if my data serves me correct, was fe February 21st. Well, that's a couple weeks after they had peaked. So they had a chance to develop herd immunity. Herd immunity, most epidemiologists, I'll say most, I've talked to two, I've watched their videos and, and uh, they've said about 80% is the number they look for for herd immunity. So the virus comes in to a society, it gets it spread rapidly throughout the society, we get 80% and then the virus is trying to move to another person but there's nowhere to go, it burns out, it's done. You yeah. shelter in place and you quote, flatten the curve and you drag out this process for months when it should have taken, you know, four, six, eight weeks to spike up. If you look at the data from, if you pulled up Worldometer and pull up China, it shows you these graphs beautifully. And you can see exactly how it spiked. It went back down. And by the time they sheltered in place, the herd immunity was indeed done. Do you think that the lockdowns even flattened this curve? Because the way I was looking at the data, and I was thinking, obviously in New York City, they saw a bit of a spike, but I was looking at it and thinking, what if lockdowns didn't really do anything, and that was just the natural spike? And since we're only limiting our data, well, 
the the experts are limiting their data to only the confirmed cases. Now we get the antibody tests say that 21% of people in New York City may have been infected. Do you think at that point the lockdowns even flatten the curve? And considering that the point of flattening the curve is for so medical resources don't go over capacity. And we came nowhere near capacity. Medical resources go over capacity all the time. I've been in this system for a long time. Typical flu year, let's say you have, you know, 100 beds. You know, a typical typical day, let's say you're using 50 or 60 of them. Well, on some days you go to 120 and you your staff is busy. You're you're, you know, moving patients around the hospital. You're doing the best you can, but you don't you don't plan to have 5,000 people when you have 100 beds. You you plan for an appropriate sort of increase in the patient volume. And but your normal census you have, you operate with within the parameters that are economically appropriate. And it seems so, like what you said, the the general public does not understand that hospitals are <laughs> are very busy during flu season. Uh, yeah. I, if you go in online and you type in any given year, flu season hospital. If you type that in, you're going to find tons of under 1,000 viewed news videos of hospitals overflowing from the flu where they have to set up outside tents to treat flu patients. People don't realize that happens. We've set up tents multiple years. I worked in, in three different hospitals in Central California. We set up tents on a regular basis. This, this is our emergency preparedness plan. So if they have to set up a few tents in Central Park, I go, yep, that's pretty normal. And I think most, I won't say most, I'll say the epidemiologists I've spoken to say, this is a stand, normal flu season. It's a little more aggressive. It's a little more respiratory based. And there's reasons for that. But we're going to see, you know, 50 some thousand deaths from Corona. We see 10 or 12,000 from influenza. Um, 60 some thousand is what we saw in 2017, 2018 from the flu. This is a, a standard type of flu season with a concentration in New York. And this is not something where we go, we've never seen this before. Now, what Italy do you has think- been overwhelmed by flu seasons in the past. And all we have to do to figure out if, if uh, shelter in place works is compare countries who sheltered in place to countries that didn't shelter in place and look at the deaths per million. And if you don't mind, I can take one minute and answer that question. Go for it. So the United States has about 150 deaths per million. Italy and Spain, which are the next two highest, have about 400 to 450 deaths per million. All three of those countries sheltered in place and locked down. Sweden, which has 10.3 million people, didn't lock down. They did some basic social distancing. So when you were at a restaurant, people would spread out, they'd wear masks, some basic things, and they had a death rate of 200 per million. This is all online data from various sources that we can cross-reference. This is not stuff that I'm making up. This is data I'm finding um, from various sources online. So what that data tells me is that whether you shelter in place or whether you don't shelter in place, it goes about, it's the disease process is about the same at a death rate. What happens is you can't stop this virus. It will spread. Herd immunity will happen whether you, whether you shelter in place or not. And if you like China, get it over with quick and get it done. That is the best course of action. If you shelter in place and drag it out for months and then come out of your houses, reinfect and re-spike and cause massive 
collateral damage to our economy, I don't see that as the most viable option. Now, everything you're saying just seems like common sense, especially you as a doctor, you you have more information in your head. You know a lot more about medical stuff. And what you're saying is stuff that I've been saying on my show. I've been saying on Twitter since January. And obviously you're way smarter than me in the medical field. But what you're saying just seems like common sense. Why is it that these experts throw out these 2.2 million death projection models based off of a 5% death rate when the real death rate is probably point one five percent what what is their their logic of thinking and what what, what do you have to well, say about it i i'm not a psychiatrist i don't know what people think <laughs> that's my short answer yeah what i will tell you is the early models were predicting a couple million deaths these early models have not proven accurate and you will see different people uh, here's here's a little bit of background. Early on, you know, President Trump made some decisions to shut down the country and travel. That's a great move. Early on, they shut things down because we didn't have any data. That's prudent. When you say what kind of a, a, a weapon, what kind of a bio, what kind of a biologic weapon are we dealing with? They didn't know. As data came out of China showing it's zoonotic. It's transferred uh, by respiratory droplet. We got some sequencing out of it, and we figured out how to test for it. And then we tested for it. Now we have more data. How many cases are coming in? How many people are sick? How many deaths? Is it behaving like flu? So now we look back over two months, and we can make a different conclusion. So I don't throw stones at the early decisions that were made when we didn't have the facts. I just sent a graph to your phone. And where is this from? That's from China. That's China's data. It's on Worldometer, and it's China, and it shows how their disease peaked, when it peaked, how long it lasts, and there is no new cases in China, so the pandemic is over in China. And that's a typical uh, classic virus, same pattern in North Korea, typical pattern of disease coming in, herd immunity, and going out without sheltering in place. Now, the thing is, obviously, we can't really trust China's data just because we can't trust China. But what I noticed since when I was following this early on, when it was in China, then when it left China, it seemed like the ratio of the death rate to the infection rate, at least confirmed cases, seemed to have followed a very similar trend. So at least in ratio perspective, maybe it wasn't 5,000 infected. It could have been 20,000 infected on any given day. At least the ratio of, the, of a curve could be accurate. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, and I, I think that the thing is, uh, China has no new active cases, and this is what I do trust about it. If China was having active cases and death, it's very hard to keep that under wraps in this day of, of you know, uh, amateur reporting going on everywhere. It's very difficult to sort of keep that under the hood. And the fact that there's no new cases coming out what we can pretty much understand is that the pandemic is is over in China, and if we allow herd immunity in this country to do the same, we will also go through our get to our eighty percent number much quicker than if we shelter in place. Now, the the people you normally work with uh, that have COVID nineteen, what seems to be around the age range? Are you noticing a lot of older older people coming in or is it a mix of adults and old people 
I, it's more commonly adults with us. Uh, again, we haven't, my, my team is reporting positives. We have not done a study and an age breakdown as we are busy seeing, you know, seeing patients every day, getting them tested, reporting to our public health department. It's a, it's a very, it's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of hours. We're just testing and sending out the data. We are not breaking it down. We are not epidemiologists. So we are sending it to the public health department and their epidemiologists will break down the age ranges as we give them all the necessary data. My staff is there till midnight, most days, calling people back and filling the paperwork, but I don't have an epidemiologic breakdown because I don't feel like that's our area of expertise. Yeah. Um, so right now there's about 50,000 COVID-19 deaths in the United States confirmed. Now you was talking on that one interview that you did that a lot of doctors are kind of pressured into saying that there's a COVID death when there's not. Is that, is that correct? Well, yeah, and I, I, I don't want to, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm really trying to speak to the facts. Have doctors told me that firsthand? They have. But that is, again, that's not a provable point. That's hearsay. So I really want to stick with the facts because the facts are something that can be, we can make conclusions about. Yeah, and I also noticed that when Neil Ferguson, I think that was his name, he did the original 2.2 million death projections in the United States. He was also saying that two-thirds of the people who would who would die from this virus would have already died by the end of the year from their pre-existing conditions. Knowing that, at that point, is it really worth? Because like it just the more you kind of pile onto this about the real facts and what's actually going on, it seems like less and less lockdowns seem to serve a purpose. Well, here's here's what you have to understand about about death is I've done lots of post-mortem autopsy. And when we go, when we go to the cadaver after the person is dead, we go through each system. They may have had pneumonia because people don't die from COVID. They die from pneumonia. They die from ARDS, acute respiratory distress syndrome. They die from renal failure. They die from sepsis. So we go through each system. We say, why did they die? And most people die for a variety of reasons. Hypoxia, they can't oxygenate. Uh, they have a heart attack, they have a stroke, they have massive organ failure. To say they die from COVID uh, to me is be a, a bit disingenuous. They may have had the virus. Their immune system was weak. So my thing is in order to understand the death of a human, you need to understand their comorbidities. Did they have diabetes? Did they have hypertension? Did they have renal failure? Did they have a variety of other things that contribute to their death as opposed to having a, a virus that caused a flu-like illness? Now, another stat that I saw, I didn't work out the full math, but after they did the antibody testings, obviously the death rate went from 3 to 5% all the way down to 0.15% in, in uh, Los Angeles, that death rate is also including all of the older people with pre-existing conditions that died. But for the adult population, I don't know if you, you, you run the math, but it seems like for the adult population, would this actually be less deadly than the flu for the overall adult population? 
not including young and old. On a typical year is 0.13 per my calculations. So I say to myself, the data that I've gathered shows about a 0.02 death rate for Californians. Um, I see it as a smaller death rate. And then when you look at the United States in general, it starts climbing up to that, that 0.1 region that's typical for the flu. So I don't see the numbers being statistically significant when it comes to the death rate this year in our flu season versus a typical year. Because I, I look at, I'm comparing it to the flu. Again, the epidemiologists I talk to, uh, because I, I defer to them as the experts and the immunologists, they say this is causing a flu-like illness. It's a little bit more rapid spreading. It's a little more focused on the lungs because of a variety of reasons. And it's going to hit New York different, as New York has a a different population, a different race population as some states. It hits different races differently based on some of the receptors in their lungs that different races have. So the uh, I spoke with a Dr. Zoltan, who's an MD, PhD in immunology, and he told me that different races, their lungs get hit harder based on the, the, something called an ACE receptor in their lungs that certain people groups have a lot higher in. What so races? All that to say... That's why that's one of the reasons why New York got hit harder. Also, obviously, the proximity of their people, the subways. It's very different than California. We're all spread out. We drive our cars. We're spread out in California, as you are in Texas. But New York is a very different lifestyle. What um, what races are affected the most and which ones affected the least? Do you know that? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna answer that because I don't have good data. Uh, mm. He he told me what it is, but I don't have data to back it up, so I I can't answer that with certainty. Right. I have. Uh, I tweeted out that I was going to be interviewing a doctor about COVID nineteen, and I got a bunch of questions, and I'll read them off for you to answer. If you already answered one of the questions, just give like a quick summary, I guess. Uh, why does no one call out the openly inaccurate CDC death calculations? I think early models uh, struggle with accuracy because we just don't have a lot of the facts. And so they, they sort of, they're on the responsible side, they tend to predict high so that we take conservative measures. But I think once we have data, we can see that the models uh, were not highly accurate and we need to readjust our thinking with the real data that's come in. Another question. Um, why doesn't the U.S. use primary cause of death to stop overcalculating? Um, I mean, hold on one second. She just seems to be asking repetitive questions. Uh, do you know any anything about the truth about hydrochloroquine? Because the media has been saying that it doesn't work, it's not designed to work, but then there's um, some doctors that are saying it does work. Hydroxychloroquine, or Plaquenil is its uh, brand name, has been used in lupus patients for many years, for about 70 years, uh, per the rheumatologist that I'm reading. And it's been a very safe drug. Uh, it's it's one of its main benefits is reducing the what's called the uh, in inflammation caused by cytokines. And I don't want to get too technical here. So I'll, I'll just say this. It reduces inflammation. 
it reduces cytokine storm. And this is one of the reasons why people get in trouble with COVID as they get an inflammatory reaction and fluid in the lungs. Plaquenil has been noticed to decrease, to, to live in the endosome and help to decrease the cytokine production, not to the point where you get immunocompromised, but just to the point where it reduces the inflammation. And that's why it's been shown to be effective. I know one doctor treated 1,400 COVID patients. He had two deaths out of them and four people on ventilators that all came off. And they were all on the hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin and zinc combination. He had very good results. But again, this is anecdotal. This is a physician telling you what he's found. And we have, I have two or three other examples like that, but that's my answer. Sure. And another thing that I noticed that a lot of people aren't talking about, when you did that original interview, you were talking about how lockdowns, where lockdowns are actually going to have negative effects on our health. And I was just thinking today, I haven't been to the gym in over two months, and I'm someone that's at the gym every single day, and I'm struggling to work out with elastic bands every single day because that's all I have. And I noticed I did put on at least 8 to 10 pounds since lockdown. And I was thinking, overall, the United States, everybody is in that boat. So overall, the health of the population should be declining and decreasing. And as you said, once we go out— we could be hit harder with the COVID-19. I'll answer your question by what the epidemiologists tell me. Every year we have a cold and flu season. And for us, it starts around December, usually lasts through March, maybe April, peaks up, goes down. When people start to go outside, what happens? They have decreased respiratory droplet inhalation. They have decreased exposure to air conditioning systems. They spread out. Every year the virus dies and we go through this cycle of being indoors, it's cold, we're all indoors talking, you know, intermingling, we go outside, we get herd immunity, virus burns out, and we do this every single year. So when you go outside, you get your vitamin D goes up, your immune system gets stronger. All these exercise exercises been shown to do the same, increase your immune system's ability to fight off disease. So I'll ask you the question, does it make sense to go inside, stay out of the sun, and not work out, and say that that causes increased immune, immune system function? <laughs> it's almost like a no-brainer because it's, it's, it is very frustrating seeing the way our government is acting, seeing the way our experts and people of authority and power telling us to do these things, forcing us to do these things, when we know that's going to that's gonna hurt our health. Me, I've, I've been forcing myself out to go for a run around the block, but I live in Hollywood, and it's it's disgusting, smelly, and gross. I, got, I don't want to go outside because I feel like I'm going to get sick from all the feces laying around. But my building has, has a really nice gym that I would normally go to, which I can't now because it's closed. So somebody like me, I'm just sitting on the roof trying to get a tan, at least soak in some outside sunlight, but it's... I'm thinking I'm somebody who is more outgoing to the fact that I'll try to make it my best effort to work out or to stay healthy, where the, I feel like the majority of the popula population doesn't really go out of their way too much. They're not going to make that conscious decision to go out for a walk or a run or stop or eat a little bit less because they're not as active. Well, Joey, let me, let me just tell you this. Um, I think it's, I took an oath when I became a physician, right? We all take the Hippocratic Oath. We, we, 
We take an oath to do no harm and to uphold the health of the patient above anything else. And when I see a system that is indeed causing people to shelter in place, decrease their immune system, have problems with employment, major companies shut down, and it's worse for herd immunity, I say to myself, this is not what I need to support. And that's why I'm on your show today. And that's why I'm, I'm speaking up because I took an oath. And if I don't speak up, then I am not upholding the oath that I took a long time ago. God bless. Now, we, we have one last question. When it comes to America going back to work, would you recommend social distancing? Would you recommend masks? Or don't even bother, it's worthless. I'll, I'll answer your question with a question. We've talked about herd immunity. Herd immunity requires you to be in a herd, unmasked, shaking hands, and as we share the coronavirus around, we get to our 80% quicker. One of the best things you can do is open up schools, get the kids back in school, get the virus moving, get to herd immunity, and get it done. Otherwise, we flatten the curve, we drag it out through summer, and we don't get our kids back to work, back to school. We don't get everybody back to work because we're dragging this thing out. I don't see a scientific reason to drag out herd immunity. The virus will get what it wants. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with everything that you're saying. It, it, it just seems like everything that we're being forced to do from the government is actually making it worse, like you said. And that that is, I mean, when you go out, when I would go out and say we need to do herd immunity, a lot of people would, would respond, oh, yeah, well, the U.K. tried that. It failed immediately, so they, they went right away into lockdowns. And that was because, I don't know if, if this is correct, but at the time there was like an initial large spike in cases, and then the U.K. was like, oh, screw it. We have to do lockdowns to prevent it. And it seems like the narrative went from lockdowns went from flattening the curve to it's the cure where we need to stay in lockdown just long enough and then we'll come out. They're updating the models. We're saying if Trump acted two weeks earlier, only 6,000 people would die instead of 50,000. But that doesn't make any sense. That's not even that's not based in reality or the science that we know. It, it just everything they do seems to contradict the last thing that they did. Well, I, I ask people just to. I say follow the, what I what I do as a physician is I follow the science and people ask me what were they thinking I say that's not my role my role is to say what is the science what makes sense and how should we handle this from an epidemiologic standpoint and that's I try to stay on those facts because as soon as we get in the weeds and we jump on these black holes of the economy there's no solid answers so my logic is herd immunity is a well-known way to burn these viruses out. So let's do what we know. Now that we've had a few months, I'll say two months of data, we've watched other countries come and go. China is done. The pandemic's over in China, no new cases. So let's let herd immunity run its course. Let's get back to work. Let's get back to school. Let's get back to the gym. If you went to the beach today in Southern California, it is packed. I had, I, I was just talking to friends. They said, we went yesterday, it was packed shoulder to shoulder at the beach. So, but you can, but you can't go to church on Sunday. So does that make, I'm just asking people, look at the science. Does that make sense? And it also seemed that 
when I, I noticed about a month ago, there would be a lot of group events that would pop up, like the farmer's markets, um, CPAC was even a thing. And it seemed like at that time, all the doomsdayers were saying, just wait two weeks, wait two weeks, it's going to get worse. And even now with the protests going on, everybody's like, wait two weeks, they're all going to get infected, they're all going to die. And time and time again, we're seeing none of that happen. We're seeing no peaks happen from these mass gatherings. And I think that's mainly because the people in these gatherings are healthy, younger people, and they're not even showing enough symptoms to even appear on the confirmed case list, where they're just getting it, getting the antibodies, and that's it. That's why the antibody tests are coming back with 4 to 20% people are infected, with like, you know, 80 times to 100 times more than the confirmed cases. And, you know, that, I guess that lends some weight to the herd immunity argument. Yeah, I agree. So I'm, I'm, I think the conversation is real simple. I, I boil it down to these two facts. Um, if, if herd immunity is a known process that's effective for burning out viruses, why did we shelter in place? And if, if you say to me, well, we sheltered in place early on so we didn't know what was going on. Okay, that's legitimate. Now that we know what's going on, we understand a lot more about the virus. Now they tell me, okay, it's for flattening the curve. And then my response is, why would we want to drag this out? Let's get it over with. Let's get to herd immunity. Let's get back to work. So I don't find any scientific basis for sheltering in place. I, I have not heard a good answer, and I don't think there is a good answer now, initially, yes, but at this point, once we have the data, I do not think that California needs to shelter in place. Exactly, and I, and I was I was just saying that yesterday on my show and on Twitter, where is at what point do we stop blaming China? Because obviously we blamed China at the start because they were a little bit sketchy with their data. They were not letting people in to do the research to find out what was really going on and what's about with this disease, and I believe because China wasn't given the proper information, it led to the lockdowns because everybody was scared. Nobody knew what was going on. And at that time, we thought the death rate was up to 5% and that it was going to infect, you know, some people thought it was literally going to infect the entire population. And at that time, it made sense. I, I understood the lockdowns. But now that we're just getting more data, we're learning more. Now we have it here. We have all the data. We have the real death rates. We know who it's infecting. It It's... It's just blowing my mind that they didn't update any of these projection models to account for the new data. It's still all based off the old data, and no politicians are actually making any decisions or even coming out saying anything about any of it. They're just—it seems like—because now it's it just seems like a game of politics. It's a political game. Because if, I have one more analogy for you that I've been using that I think is effective. If you think about the scales of justice— and you think, on one side, I have collateral damage from COVID in the economy. And on the other side, I have the disease, death, and uh, general um, illness of COVID. And the scales are going back and forth. And I ask you, which, which scale is dropping lower? COVID or the disease process? I have a son with asthma. Do I want him to get COVID and have respiratory problems? No, I don't. Did I shelter in place for the first six weeks like I was asked to? Yes, I did. We wore masks. We sheltered in place. And then as I, after two months of data, I said, okay, guys, uh, this doesn't make 
doesn't make scientific sense and we took off the masks and we're not doing that anymore. But I have a wife with some respiratory issues and a son with asthma. So I was concerned that, that if we were out with them, my son could easily get, when you have asthma, you're, you're, you're predisposed to have a significant reaction to this. So I said to myself, the, the experts, the government paid experts are telling us to do this. I, 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 you know, I respect our president. I respect Mike Pence. I respect Dr. Fauci. So I did what they told me to do. I have done what they've told me to do. And now that I have my own data, I say, okay, here's what the data says. It's time to lift. It's, it's time to get the schools back. It's time to get businesses back, approach our 80% and, and allow things to go. Now that we know this is a typical flu cycle. Does it seem like there is a, when you say the typical flu cycle, is this, um, I guess, comparable to previous years of the flu, or does it seem like there's the flu virus that's out there, and then we're stacking on kind of a second flu on top of it? Is it, would that be more accurate? Like we kind of got two I would, flu. I would direct you to the CDC website for 2017, 2018. Look at the numbers there. You'll see, uh, I believe, right around 60,000 deaths that year, um, which is kind of where we're at with, with this year's flu. Uh, I've, I've heard 10 to 12,000 on influenza. I haven't verified that. I think corona today is around 50,000. Um, so that would put us in the 60,000 range. So that's not way outside the realm of normal for flu. I mean, every death is terrible. I don't want to appear callous to that, but I also want to make sure we're interpreting the data in light of what we know about the flu for the last 10 years. Yeah, the it, death rate is similar. And it seems like whenever anybody does bring that up, we're like, well, look, it's it's not really that, it's not doomsday. It's, it's pretty much just the flu when you look at the numbers and even including the artificially inflated death count that seems to be speculated. Even after you include that, it just seems like it's the flu. But whenever you say that, it seems like the doomsdayers or the opposition or the people who want to extend lockdowns, oh, you don't care about people dying. You want to sacrifice 50,000 people for the economy. And then you look at it and you're like, well, wait, it, it, these people are going to die. People are going to die. That Lockdowns isn't going to stop any of that. It's going to happen. It's a course of life. It's a natural course of life. There are thousands of diseases and viruses that kill people every single day. You, you can't do anything to stop it. It's just the natural course of life where people are going to get sick and people are going to die. And they kind of divert that argument into a morality argument. Let me, let me talk about one point that we haven't touched on, which is vaccines. Ooh. We have a vaccine for flu. Our vaccine covers about 35 to 40% of the new strains that come out. 50 to 60% of the people will take the vaccine, maybe 40% won't. I don't have exact numbers, but in my clinics, a lot of people say, nah, I don't want it. Okay, so we have a vaccine, they don't want it. The vaccine we have, they have to predict what the, what the virus will be like that year and design a vaccine for it. And usually it covers about 30 to 40% of the strains. So is it that effective, the vaccine? The vaccine's purpose is to get us closer to herd immunity. You get the vaccine, you get immune, it gets us, it gets us to our 80% number faster. That's the point of the vaccine. If you allow us to get together, 
and let the, the virus move as it will, it also gets us to herd immunity faster. So people say the vaccine is the answer. And I say, let's look at the vaccine we have. It hasn't really been the answer. So I'm not sure where that argument comes from. And it seems like the waiting for a vaccine is also not <laughs> not really a plausible solution, especially when considering the economic damages that it's doing. And whenever you bring up the economic damages, people don't realize that economics, the economic damage will indirectly start to affect people's lives and survival rate and health because, you know, just <laughs> people don't realize it could lead to a war having a crashed economy. It could lead to more people on the streets, which will, you know, result in more deaths, etc. There's so many different things that will happen. Really hung their hat on this vaccine idea. And I say to myself, well, I, I give the vaccine every year. I've taken the vaccine. I've not taken the vaccine. I've gotten the vaccine and gotten flu. And just because you get the vaccine does not mean you're not getting the flu. So that's what people have to understand. Uh, the vaccine has some effect, but it's not 100%. It's not even 50%. It covers about 30 to 35% from what I read. Uh, so I say to myself, vaccine is not the end all to this. We have lots of rhinoviruses. We had SARS. We don't have a vaccine for them, and they burn themselves out. Would it have been nice to have a vaccine? Yeah, it would. It helps us get to that number quicker. But I, I don't know that it's realistic to say once we have the vaccine, all will be well. It also seems like the vaccine is, you know, it could be well a year or two away or six months to two years. So even we, it's not even feasible to lock down in place until the vaccine even comes out. I mean, if right. if the vaccine was going to take a month to create, they'd say, okay, we'll shut down for a month and get try the vaccine to help make speed up the herd immunity maybe i don't know i don't know how the numbers would work if if you would see herd immunity come in quicker from just not locked down or locked down for a month get the vaccine and ship it out and jump jump it up as quick as possible um but yeah just it so, just seems like there's no solutions really with this lockdown i i really want to be part of the i mean i want to be part of the plan and part of the solution so i'm looking to governor newsom to say uh, what is the plan to get us back to work and how can I help? If you want to do it through a testing type of plan where we do two nasal swabs 24 hours apart, we use the PCR nasal swab. I'm happy to do that. If you want me to test people's immunoglobulin, IgG, which tests for long-term immunity, I'm happy to do that. We have the tiger top tube. We can draw blood. And what I asked my I, I sat down with an MD, PhD in uh, immunology from Sonic, who owns PAL Labs, and I said, I need criteria from, he works with several PhDs in immunology. And I said, I want one sheet showing me who you think needs to be tested, how they need to be tested, and who can go back to work. And then I'd like to take a rational approach with our leaders and say, this is what the experts, these are, these are non-government people, are giving us, these are the criteria to go back to work and see if I can be part of the solution. Meaning, in my area of, of a million people or more, I'd like to help the ones that need to get testing back to work. As many of them are food workers that supply the food to our country. They're truckers that transport the food to the rest of the country. I would like to be part of this solution. And so 
That's what I would offer from my centers is how do I help be part of the solution of getting California reopened? I like that. And I'm on, I'm on board. We got to get this message to Newsom and back to what I was saying earlier about how this is all a game of politics is I can't see any governor or any politician actually stepping forward and having the conversation that we just had today where we're saying we're in the the data was initially wrong let's move forward on the real data because in doing so that could be a political loss for the politician saying that they made a huge mistake and we're seeing I, that with like yeah. Pelosi when she was saying originally oh everything's fine go to Chinatown hang out in Chinatown and now she wants to attack Trump for pretty much doing the same exact thing and it's all a game of politics where there's no honesty in there I think I think Governor Newsom is a smart man I think he has acknowledged that the Trump organization has been very helpful in helping to fight the pandemic. I think he's a smart man. He's He's been a business owner. He's a smart man. And I, I think the issue now is we've done what, what we were asked to be. We, we, we followed the plan that they set forth. We've done a shelter in place. We've, got, we've gotten some data now. Uh, from different universities around California that say it's likely much more w- widespread. There's most likely millions of cases. So now let's test appropriately. Let's come up with an action plan to reopen California. And my message to the governor was, you know, let's let's get a team together and let's let's get this done. I'd love to help. I, I think he's I think he's doing a, a good job in a lot of things in California. We don't agree on everything, but I, I think you know, he's, he's doing his best in this, in this time. So I really want to work together to get this done. Well, thank you for joining. Thank you for spreading the truth and the real data and the real science. Is there anything that you would like to plug to people to follow you on anything, to support something? Well, that you... one, one thing we're doing that I think has really been helpful is we started a telemedicine uh, business and people are really loving it. Uh, AcceleratedUrgentCare.com is allowing people uh, all throughout California to call in uh, and get care. And we'll be, you know, we'll be in your state shortly too. But it's nice because if you don't want to go see the doctor, you can see one from home in the great state of California. I'm going to pull up the website right now so people can look at it. AcceleratedUrgentCare.com. Everybody yeah. go check it out. But yeah, just keep, keep, uh, keep up the great work. If there's uh, any updates or anything big happens that you notice just shoot me a text so this way i could get your word out there to my audiences and then my audience can get the word out to people they know and we can just spread the the truth and spread the proper data you know so thank you thank you so much thank you for having me i appreciate it thanks Thank you so much for listening to The Raging Patriot. If you are listening to Apple, please give it five stars. Uh, The left is one star bombarding me. If you want to shoot me a text, send me some fan mail, 917-540-8768. You can shoot me a text. I'll keep you updated on things. You can send me questions. I might answer them on the show. I might answer them in the text with you. Uh, Also, if you can, please share this episode to your friends. Send it to your friends. I, I love doing this daily show. Send it to your friends. Subscribe. Tell them to subscribe. Um, you know, I'll be here every single day. Uh, you know, I'll never take a day off. I, I, I promise you. And if I do, then I, I, pro- I probably have COVID-19. I'm probably sick and dying. So yeah, thank, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you. Go listen to another episode. If you listen to this this far, then, then you need help. 
you need to go to my other episodes. Peace out.